I love y'all, man. Yes, sir. Hey, yes, sir. It's never the underdog. Yes, sir. Look, family on three, man. One, two, three. Family. This is the Five Point Play Podcast, the Die Hard Duke Basketball Fans Podcast, brought to you by the Duke Blue Brotherhood Forums. Forgot to say it last week, that's on me, but I was kind of excited, Jack, because we have a new number one team in the country. How does it feel, Jack? How does it feel, Jack? Seriously. It's good to be back on top. It's been two years. I am so beyond Let's just go. thrilled. Last year, Duke wasn't above number seven, I don't believe, in the polls. This year... Number one, haven't been lower than number nine all year, and that was that was the first week. It's good yeah, to hear. And, four yeah, weeks in, number one. Yeah, you know, I, Jack, I saw a stat earlier. You probably saw the same one that twenty-one of Coach K's forty-two years at Duke, he's had a, a team ranked number one at some point during the That's season. That's incredible. Also, I was I was looking at a I was looking at the pull, at uh, some stats in our media guide and Duke's official media guide. Duke actually has a pretty solid win percentage when they're ranked number one. A lot of people maybe think, oh, when Duke's number one, they tend to lose a lot of games. No, they got the same. They got a better win percentage ranked number one than number two, three, four, five. Literally, the everything from one down to thirteen. Thirteen is the next highest win percentage on the uh, when it comes to Duke's highest ranking. So it has been a while since we've been ranked number one, and AC. A lot of times when that happens. The fans have to dust off the old cliches. They got to dust them off. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I don't want to be number one. What the hell are you talking about? Right. I'm so glad Jack came with that stat for us because I was about to go off for real. Duke has won. Because all day long, that's all I've seen. Duke has won 243 games ranked number one to 40 losses. We'll be just fine. 133 and 22 ranked number two. That's basically the same win percentage. Yeah. Yeah, we'll be just fine. No, being number one doesn't put more of a back or put more of a, a target on Duke's back. It doesn't make us worse. It doesn't make the guys any less focused. Yeah, are they going to be happy about it and all that? Sure. But if they lose the game, it's not because they're number one. All right. That's not like, stop it. I don't want to hear it anymore, man. It's, it's just such a tired argument. It means absolutely nothing. I'm glad, like you said, the Jack brought the stats to prove it. Um, you know, but, you know, that's it's just fans being fans. And, and oh, yeah. You know, looking for ways to basically unjinx themselves as if that has any bearing on how it's going to go up <laughs> going forward. The I mean, it's just so dumb. I hate it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not necessary. Like, let's celebrate this team being where they belong because last year we were dying to have this team as a even a top forty team because it, of how bad the season was. So now all of a sudden we're number one, and everybody's like, I don't want to be number one. Like, no, I don't want to. No, I don't want to. Uh, guys, you know, the Bulls are, we're Duke for Christ's sake. Right. Coach K's last year, you're going to get everybody's best shot. You might as well be the number one team in the country. And it happened pretty damn quickly, let's just be honest. I yes, think sir. most fans said if we split one and one versus Kentucky and Gonzaga, they would have taken it. Mm-hmm. So here we are, 84-81, and I just want to make sure I go through the notes here. AC, we all made predictions, right? Uh, yep. here we go. Oh, here we go. Jay, here we what go. did I have? 84-82, Jack, that's what I had. I'm sorry <laughs> I let everybody down. I was off by a point. Um, but I hope you got those best in because that was easy money. Um, Jack, let's just talk about this game real quick. I just want to say I did say Gonzaga was going to score 81. Yeah. 
Yep. That's right. And, and AC, I think you had him at 81. I had 87, as well. 81 as well. We were all pretty right there. If you want to make some money, come to the five point play podcast. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think to this point, other than what was the first game, uh, the, second, the first game we played at Cameron when AC, you know, he just went off the rails. Outside of that, we've actually been pretty spot on. When Cameron was <laughs> Kentucky and I was hyped. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's, let's get it twi- Let's not get it twisted. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, let's, Jack, Jack let's, let's talk about this uh, Gonzaga game. Uh, first of all, it was a heavyweight fight from, from the jump. It was uh, – the only negative was that it started at 1045 Eastern mm. time because I couldn't get to sleep for an hour and a half after that game ended. But – for the first time, Jack, to me, in, in a while, uh, it felt like this is one of Duke belongs. And it was, it to me, I, I felt just as good after that game as I did when Duke blew out Kentucky in the first game of the year with Zion and Archie. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I felt, I felt really, really good uh, watching that. Like, much like UTK, I wasn't, I wasn't able to go to sleep for a long time after that game. It was close to two by the time I was even ready to. Hit, hit the lights, but my goodness, that was an incredible game. Um, I think the craziest part about it was the fact that Duke effectively was playing without Paulo the entire second half with the cramping and the fact that he was clearly struggling. He only had one point, didn't make a shot, and Duke still won. That's the crazy part. Yeah, I feel like uh, so many different people stepped up, but you know, let's let's focus on one thing to kind of get this segment going, AC, that if you look just at the box score, you know, we kind of got beaten mm-hmm. in every category. You talk about field goal percentage. Uh, we got out-rebounded by 11. Um, you know, free throws weren't great on either end. Uh, they out, you know, they, they had seven more assists than we did. So, like, yep. you know, kind of look at it. You know, obviously, we won, we won the turnover battle. Um, you know, we, we had a little bit more opportunities. But kind of just, if you just look at that, you would say, how, how did Duke win this game? But, you know, that's sometimes how box scores can deceive you. Is that right? Exactly. And this was not a box score game. This was a game about making plays. Like, anytime a game is that close against two teams that are so evenly matched, it really truly is who made the most plays, who had the best game plan. And that's what it came to. And, like, really this was Coach K out coached Mark Few here. You know what I mean? Like, for the past few years, we've been giving K crap about, oh, he just rolls the ball out, whatever. We haven't. People have. But this was one of those games where he really did have a great game plan. He had great players to help execute this plan. And, I mean, it was just – it was game on, man, like from the from the jump. Like this team was just – and the players wanted it, dude. Like there was one play in the first half. Theo John goes up between four Gonzaga players. Even though we got out-rebounded, my man came down with the board between four of them and got the putback. We didn't make it, but got the foul on it. Gave the big Theo flex, and it was like it was game on. Like at that point, I was like, "Yo, <laughs> yo, this is this is something different." Gonzaga hadn't seen this before. Yeah, and and Jack, I think that you know, if you just kind of look at this team, you know, a lot, a lot historically, Duke has always had those teams that that fight. But I don't think I can ha- remember a team collectively. Now you might have the RJs and the Zions that are, that are fighting out there, but collectively, every single person to a man. On this team is a fighter. I haven't seen it like this, and I can't even tell you how long. Yeah, I can't remember the last time I saw a team that had this this many guys that could and would and did step up all at the same time. Probably 14-15, right? It has to be. Because yeah. like even all all eight of those guys, all eight of those scholarship guys needed to at different times, and all, all of them did step up. Mm-hmm. 
That's in different ways. Exactly. Those are guys. This team is very similar to that team in a lot of different ways, in my in my opinion. And uh, I think I think Gonzaga is is kind of like Kentucky in that respect in that season. Yeah, I think Duke uh, Duke just took that team down. Yeah, you know it's it's funny that we compare it to the 2014-2015. They're different teams, but you know AC, you know in that Wisconsin game uh, during the regular season, we go on the road to Wisconsin in that 2014-2015 season. Mm-hmm. And if you remember correctly, it was Marshall Plumlee that gave a couple big minutes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and get, you know, that, that famous play where the ball's rolling around yep. and just shoot, shoot, shoot one over to him and he throws it down, gives the screen. Those two plays that Theo John made when, when this game could have gotten away from us uh-huh. in the second half against Gonzaga, Theo John made two huge plays against Drew Timmy and kind of kept us in it. Absolutely. And to borrow from, from Jay Billis's favorite term, it wasn't spectacular. But it was Theo making leadership plays, like two back-to-back hooks, a hook on the right side, left-handed hook right after that in the lane. Like it was like, where's that offense coming from? That's definitely not in the scouting report. And it was you know right over top of the everybody's favorite All-American man, Drew Timmy, <laughs> who got exposed on defense. But yeah, you know, I mean it, it was great. Oh yeah, he did. But it, it was just it was really great to see that from Theo. It was great to get some offense from somewhere, especially that second half, man. For so many different guys to come up and score in the second half and make big plays, it, I mean, and we needed every single bit of it because Paulo was essentially ineffective second half because he couldn't move. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that, and I think that you know, let's let's start t- t- talking about the game itself. So we come out right away, mm-hmm. and you know, we miss a couple free throws. Uh, you know, Gonzaga is up, I think it was four nothing, and you kind of start feeling okay, maybe is this game pressure getting a little bit too bit for us? But that's when I kind of started really believing in this team because they that didn't deter them at all. If you watch the UCLA game a uh, couple nights before, you know, on Tuesday night, UCLA got mm-hmm. punched in the mouth and they were done. But, you know, AC, like, yep. we, we got – it wasn't a big punch, but it, it, they threw the first shot. We took it. And then we mm-hmm. really came back with a bunch of haymakers. And I want to start with Paolo Bancaro because he had one of the best halves I've ever seen a do freshman have, but we've had a lot of good ones. Absolutely. I mean, he was on pace for 40 and you know, if, if it was, if it wasn't for all those muscles and we might, he might've hit that number, but I mean that he was, he was incredible. And I don't think enough attention is given to his defense because the offense is so amazing. Defensively. He really like, he, he is a big time player for our team between his communication, his being able to hold position, some of his help side work. Like he, he's a lot better of a defender than I think, and it's not like anybody takes credit away from him as a defender. We just don't think of him as a defender. But you saw the difference in this team's defense when he was off the floor versus when he was on. And even in that second half when he couldn't move, he was so great on D. But that first half, man, he was – I mean, the, the points were just flowing. We were up nine at one point because of what he was doing and Mark was doing. Like, he was doing everything, making passes, lobs. Every, oh, it's, it's incredible, man. Yeah, I mean, Jack, you know, is is that you know Jordan thirty for thirty? He took this he took this personally. Oh yeah. And we talked about this. How long did we talk about this? And not just last week's podcast, but leading up to this, that he wanted this matchup. And and I thought Shep did okay. I thought his numbers were a little bit inflated from the performance that he actually put on. He did some nice things, but a lot of that was when Paolo was out because Paolo did take this one personally. Jack, what did you see from him in that first half? Because I was I was quite frightened. I mean, that was a man possessed out there. Oh, for sure. No, that was, I'm just going to say, like, take freshman aside, that was one of the best single half performances I've ever seen from a college basketball player. Mm-hmm. Like, I was in shock. 
This man pulled up for three from NBA range. He pulled up in the corner. He pulled up for a, like a regular college three. He was making it look easy from distance. He was making it look easy inside. Mm-hmm. Chet gave him a little bit of space, so he stepped in and took a long two and swished it. Like When he put his shoulder into I his saw chest. I saw out there. Oh my God. What was it that I I sent? I sent you guys a text during the game. I said it's like watching Giannis with a jumper. Yeah. I mean, really. And this is going up against a guy who kind of, like, not to overhype Chet at all, but it's kind of like he's, I guess, de- on the defensive end, for lack of a better comparison, kind of like a Kevin Garnett. Again, not to overhype him, but that's yeah, I mean, the only guy yeah, of that size who moves right, like that. He's known for his of. defense, the, the length that he has. He's 7'2". He's got the long arms. He blocks a bunch of shots. He's got good timing on the shot blocks. and. Yep. But the thing that people always said about Chet was you put somebody with a big body on him and you get into his body, he takes away that shot blocking ability. That's exactly what Mark and that's exactly yeah. what Paulo did. Exactly. And just yeah. seeing that with Paulo, who's able to take you to the hoop or stretch the floor a little bit. Amazing. He balled out. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, AC, there are two plays in particular that I want to kind of highlight here. Actually, make it three now that we just said that. Uh, the first one I have written down was... The play in transition, and I'm not talking about um, the, the lawn to Mark because that was my second one, but the first one is when he is running down the left side. Keels has the ball, and, and he is screaming mm-hmm. for the ball. He is, he is saying, give me the mother effing ball. I need it now. Uh-huh. And he's just one hop, not even a full step, less of fly, buckets, crown goes nice, timeout view. And then the third one is kind of following up on your two uh, points there. Uh, Jack and AC that he got into the body and shit. He 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 put his left shoulder into him. It wasn't a foul like Drew Timmy did earlier in the game. Yep. Uh, and and he finished in contact. He flexed on him. He wanted Chet to know mm-hmm. that this is my number one spot. This is no longer a discussion. This is my house. And Chet had nothing to do but smile about it too. I saw <laughs> yeah, that he, too. Knew. He, he knew. He knew. He knew what was happening. Don't lie. <laughs> he knew what was happening a couple times. Man. Paulo was looking at Gonzaga's bench. He was looking at their fans. He was looking at Chet. Like, I'm telling you, man, that dude was, like you said, he took it 100% personally. Jordan would have been proud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let's talk about uh, Wendell Moore's second half because, you know, yeah, you know, honestly, as bad as his first half was, it was not great. And and we've we've kind of come to expect uh, the Wendell Moore that he's going to, you know, put up those near triple-double stats every game. Um, He was not great in the first half, but – he took the challenge of K, and you know, without Paolo there, we got to get some sponsors for Pedialyte, whatever we got to do. <laughs> and he and he had his own clamping issues as mm-hmm. well. Um, but you know, AC just talking about Wendell's performance, kind of putting the team on his back when we when we needed him the most because Gonzaga could have pulled away there. Yeah, no, no, he he just like the last couple of games, the the I believe it was was the Army where he went out in the beginning, and then. The team kind of looked sloppy, yeah. and he came back and pulled yep. things together, and the same exact thing happened yeah, here. Yeah, first play of the yep. game. Yep. The same thing happened here. I it was Campbell. Was that Campbell? Okay, okay. Perfect. So the same thing happened here, man. He was he came in, did his thing. That second half, he knew he was needed because Paulo was out. Trevor wasn't hitting. He's like, okay, my turn. That one play where Jeremy has the ball dribbling left side wing, he comes across the lane right at the, uh, at the free throw line, which makes the interior – Wendell's jumping up and down over on the right wing, like, give me the ball, because Drew Timmy was on him. He sank back in the lane. He wanted that shot so bad. I'm so glad he hit it, man, because that was that was a that was like a message. That shot was a, a huge message. 
It was like, I'm not, I'm here. I'm, we're not going away. Like, there's nothing you can do to stop us at this point. Like, that was a message. Yeah, and Jack, you know, even Coach K mentioned it after the game. Like, we were led by our captain. And I think to, to hear that validation from Coach K, we, we knew mm-hmm. it. But in a game like this, you kind of want to hear that from him. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like, like when you're the captain of your team and you're consistently stepping up like Wendell has into a legitimate conference player of the year candidate, as he has, you know, triple double, consistently getting fifteen, six and six, shooting as effectively, efficiently as he has this season, especially given last year he shot something like forty three percent, I think. Not to mention mm-hmm. defensively, he had four steals against Gonzaga. Against Gonzaga. This is a team that does not turn the ball over that much, and he, the team as a total had eleven, forcing a lot of turnovers from a team that doesn't like to cough the ball up that much. Rarely, you rarely see Gonzaga have as many turnovers as they did, and I think Wendell and his defense was a really huge part of that. For sure. Yeah, and so you know, AC did bring up Jeremy Roach. I want to kind of lump him in with that uh, dude. Yeah, so and uh, his dude. Uh, I'm gonna let you have the floor, but I want to lump him in uh, also with Trevor Keels because neither one of them had a good shooting night uh, combined. They were five of twenty-six. Or excuse me, a twenty-four. Um, but they did combine for seven assists. Six of them came from Keels, but like mm-hmm. you already mentioned, the, the big one from Jeremy to, to Wendell. Despite them not shooting well, mm-hmm. uh, I thought both of them really balled out and showed their fight that I know you love. Absolutely. That's that that's Paul to Six fight we keep talking about. It's almost starting to sound cliche from us, but I think people are starting to realize that. I don't know how many people I saw online calling for Jeremy's head during that game. It's like, okay, I get it. He's having a bad game. The team is still winning. He's still doing the things that you want him to do. It's not like he was standing around the three-point line, jacking up a bunch of shots, missing, making stupid plays. He didn't do it. He didn't, he didn't have a single turnover this game. He was shutting Andrew Nimhard down. That, what a defensive performance that was against him. And he was just making winning plays between the layups. At the end of the game, he had a nice little play in the first half. Like, Jeremy, was he was doing some nice things. It's just some of his shots weren't falling, man. But he still wasn't making stupid plays. So it's like it's time to stop second-guessing everything these guys do. I get it. Yeah. I understand. We've been punched in the mouth as Duke fans the past couple of years. I understand. This is a different group, and you can see it. Like, there's no need to. There's no need for extra validation at this point. These guys are who we know that they are at this point. Yeah, and then Trevor Keels kind of talked about his toughness. Because, man, that's, that's the worst shooting performance he's probably yeah. going to have all year. Yeah, I hope so. I hope that's, I hope that's as bad as he shoots all season. I, I get the feeling that it will be. And even from the free throw line especially. But... That his his segment, he had like a four minute stretch in that second half, especially coming down to the end. Again, didn't hit his free throws. Got to work on that for sure. But he put single handedly put that whole team in foul trouble and slowed that game down exactly how we needed to slow it down just by him making the lane. I don't know how many times he attacked the basket and drew a foul on that last segment. I know it was Jeez, at least I four mean, times. Yeah, uh, we can talk about the whistles, uh, you know, and I was going to talk about Mark next. So let's just go ahead and get right to it. Uh, even Jay but real quick, just to that point, real yeah, quick, just to yeah, that point of Trevor, it's like even though the shots aren't falling, and this is why not being a spectacular three-point shooting team doesn't bother me because you have somebody like Trevor Kills who can just get into the lane no matter what you do. They tried to hedge him. They tried to sink back on the picks. They couldn't do anything with him in that pick and roll action. And moving forward, like to the rest of the NCAA, sorry, <laughs> like yeah, sorry for I, your luck. Well, that's the best part. Yeah, that's the best part to me is that you know in the first half Wendell did not play well. Mm-hmm. In the second half, we didn't really have Paulo. Mm-hmm. 
Trevor didn't shoot very well. Jeremy didn't shoot very mm-hmm. well. But at different times, Joey Baker stepped up and hit a couple big threes. Mm-hmm. Theo John, we already talked about the two plays that he made. AJ hasn't even been there yet. Like, you know, he's, you know, he only plays six minutes, just never looked comfortable. Yep. This team just has something about them that makes them, you know, tick and makes them want to fight and somebody's going to step up when they need it. And, you know, I like how they hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. accountable. Wendell held Joey accountable yep. when he had a couple of sloppy plays. But, you know, Mark Williams, holy smokes. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, let's be honest here. He had, he's, he's credited for five blocks. Not, not on the five-point play podcast. He's credited with seven. Uh, the the, the goaltend and the one on Timmy that was calling foul, get out of town, yeah. Jack. What was that? That was awful officiating. <laughs> Plain and simple. Plain and simple. Very, oh. very clear that it was not a goaltend. It was not a goaltend. It was clearly not off glass when Mark hit it, that first one. That second one, there's photographic evidence that Mark, <laughs> like, have you guys seen that photo yeah. that he put on his story oh, yeah. and he captured oh, This oh, was called Jack. a foul? Come on now. Clean. Come oh, on. Jack. Timmy is the one who made contact with Mark by putting his arm into him, if anything. Yeah. That, I mean, that and ref I was waiting. I wouldn't even call that. Yeah, that ref was waiting to blow that whistle. It, yeah, it's it, 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 It's the old, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep Timmy in, in the game mm-hmm. here. Um, you know, he's the... the you know, the, the All-American, you know, yep. whatever. It's the hand, it's the hands, yep. we, we, we predicted it. Um, but either way, awesome win for, for Duke. It could have gone either way. I, I felt like if this game was played in April or late March, we would win a little bit more comfortably. This game kind of went exactly how we predicted it would. And keep listening because we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But let's get to the stock market because this one is interesting to me. And I want to keep it with Mark because we said last week that Mark's stock is only going through the roof. I feel like after this performance, he completely outplayed Drew Timmy. He was probably the second best player on the court for most of the game there. You know, I was saying, uh, I was saying Jabari. Uh, Paolo <laughs> was the best player uh, in the first half, and then I thought Wendell was the best player in the second mm-hmm. half. But you, could, you can make an argument that with 17 points, nine boards, seven blocks, not five, uh, that, that Mark was, you know, arguably the best player on the floor, second best player on the floor the entire night. AC, is it too late to, to buy in on Mark because I feel like he's unaffordable? He's yeah, at this point, yeah, at this point, he's going to have to split his assets, and now he's becoming two different companies, and now you got to buy a huge stock on two companies because. I mean, I, I don't know what I don't even know what to say anymore about like Mark Stock. Like, it's incredible. Like this, it's incredible what he did against Gonzaga. We don't truly, we don't win that game without him. With the way we shot, like if all things equal, all things the same, if we don't have a Mark Williams, we don't win that game. He completely changed everything that they wanted to do, and we talked about that leading to the game. Gonzaga didn't play a team that had a guy like him, and nobody in the country. Let's get that out of the way too. Nobody in the country has a guy like Mark Williams. So now we have yeah. this unique piece that is highly skilled highly motivated and like oh my god like where are we at now man like what is this universe we're in what are we watching uh, i don't i don't know what we're watching but this guy is he's he's a more athletic taller lankier sheldon williams and i don't even get, that's not a good right. comparison but i'm just talking about in terms of like duke blocking shots this, you can't get anything around no, the room nothing with this guy. nothing they tried they uh, gave it a shot. Sheldon yeah. himself said that Mark reminds him of yeah. him. <laughs> uh, it's just insane to, to watch him and, and the, the freedom that he allows the the uh, the backcourt to play mm-hmm. with, you know, going for steals, knowing full well that they have someone like mm-hmm. him in the back. Uh, it's just it's, it's insane. So let's, 
Let's talk about the backcourt then for a little bit. Our next guy is going to be Jeremy Roach. This is an interesting one, Jack, because I feel like, you know, much like AC said, you're on Twitter, which I do not recommend doing during games. If you're on there and watching, you know, people just go nuts calling for the head. So you would that would make me think that his stock right now is very low. But after the kind of the, the, the big free throws that he made, the two baskets at the end, you know, he made those winning plays. I would I would buy, but Jack, you tell me you're the stock advisor here. Jeremy Roach He's it's very interesting because yes, he did not have the best game putting the ball in the hoop with the exception of that half court shot after the whistle didn't count that was was incredible i just had to say that that being said he did everything else amazingly well the thing with jeremy is he makes everyone around him better even if he's not scoring and that's what he did he had no turnovers he had no fouls he scored the dagger layup like he hit the he hit the free throws that put us up to ice it for for good that little mid-range jumper he he hit in the lane what a that big was shot. a huge shot. All and of his shots. Easy, that's not an no, that's not an easy shot to make, by the way. Exactly. Especially under pressure. Yeah. Like he did have some bad. I remember on on a fast break, he did pull up mm-hmm. for three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yep. that aggravated me a little bit. However, overall, Jeremy Roach was really good. Even if he wasn't the one putting the ball in the hoop, he doesn't need to be. We have the number one pick in the draft on our team. <laughs> like. <laughs> Come on. He's not Jay Williams. He's not going to be Jay Williams. He's not going to be Tyus Jones. He's not going to be Trey for that matter. Like he's Jeremy Roach. He's going to elevate the play of everyone else on the floor, even if he's not getting the the buckets Mm -hmm. himself. And I think he did that. I, I wouldn't necessarily say his stock's going up. However, just on the fact that he did struggle Mm -hmm. at times, but it certainly didn't go down. I would still be buying on Roach. I do not think he's a finished product for the season. Yeah, I think, I think he's a stock that you look at, and he's the stock that we knew he was, and you see that like the, the ceiling, the returns aren't going to be high. Right. But, you know, it's not a bad thing to have in your por- portfolio. Nope, not at all. He's that stable stock that you just want to keep in your portfolio to keep the numbers where they are. You keep everything status quo. He's not yeah, the one he, that you take, okay, he's going to blow up with you know later on with a, a 20 or 30-point game down the road. No, 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 that's not what's happening here. He's going to make the plays that win games. And what he's doing all season – he is living in the lane. Like, I don't know what it's going to take at this point for him to get a foul call at the basket, by the way. Like, all I ever see is him on layup attempts just get thrown into the cameras. And I'm like, at, at what point? Do the, that's not him faking it. Like, he is getting blown up at the rim. Something is a foul for this kid, man. A foul. I see that. Yeah. Um, well done. Okay, all right. So we got the, uh, the last one and talking about the guy that uh, this is another one to me. This is Apple. You know, this is... Um, a stock that I just don't know. Jack, I know you, you're a college student. You can't afford the Wendell Moore stock at this point. Oh, no. Nope. No. <laughs> no, that, that left my price range a few games ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, uh, Jack, I mean, how much higher can, can this stock actually go? I feel like it's reached its, its height. It, it might be sell time. If you bought in low, if you bought in over the summer, it might be sell time on, on, on Wendell, and I don't mean that in a negative way. Oh, yeah. No, at this point, if you bought in on Wendell any time before that triple-double, I think now would be a good time to sell. And that doesn't mean it's not going to get higher. That just means he is his people's perception of him has gone up that much yeah. just in seven games. Like he's He's been nothing short of spectacular this season. I am amazed by this development. This is the guy that I remember seeing on his high school tape. Mm-hmm. 
and finally he's arrived to college. He's he's ready. He's he's a leader on the floor, off the floor. He's setting people up. Mm-hmm. He's getting rebounds. He's putting the ball in the hoop at an absurdly high rate of efficiency, especially for a guy who plays on the wing like he does. And he's hitting his threes mm-hmm. in the corner and above the break, which, like I've said so many yep. times, is so, so important for his game. Yeah, and, and AC, I think you were talking about a, a podcast. It was the Jeff Dubin podcast when, you know, Sean Miller was talking about Wendell being, who was it? Chris Carwell. And, oh, wow. And, <laughs> wow, what a comparison. Are we, are, we moving, oh. are we moving out of Chris Carwell territory with him and moving into Grant Hill territory? Like, like seriously. Uh, I, I think... Well, you know, that's it's interesting that you bring that up, you know, during the stock uh, market segment because, you know, you you make the sale, make the sale because I kind of feel like Chris is still the right the right, right. one um, because you know I think that that's the ceiling. I don't think that it's Grand Hill, um, but make the sale if you're if you're the stock broker, make the sale. So looking at stats alone, Grant's senior year, he was at seventeen six and what six and seven. That's where Wendell is right now, like it. it Wendell's a better three-point shooter than Grant was. Grant was doing everything for his team his senior year, so of course, his, you know the efficiency is going to go down a little bit. Like you know, what I mean, it, it's hard to maintain. Plus, he had an injury that season. I get it. He's not Grant Hill. I'm not saying that, but the impact he's having on this team, I, I mean, Carwell made a very similar impact as Grant Hill as well. So you know, it's it's again not saying the players are the same, just saying their impact on the squad. I think is is damn near equal. So are you are you are you buying? Uh, you, I mean, I don't think you can. Like, what else? Yeah. Like, is yeah, he, he going to start averaging 17, right. 10, and 10? Like, yeah, I think it's where it is. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I, think that that's, I think that's fair. Yeah, this is so, Bitcoin. I think this is a, as high as you might see it for a long time. Yeah. And I think I think you're safe selling it. But you, if you bought in, like you said, if you bought in early, congratulations to you because he, you can he afford, is You can at, afford a couple tickets to the, to the Coach K final game. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. All right, awesome. All right, so... With all that, you know, positivity being said, uh, this Duke team does have a few glaring weaknesses. So we're going to do the Dr. Phil segment, talk about our issues. I don't know what you have on your mind or who you think you are, but that's not happening here. We got some issues going on, Jack. Uh, We'll start with the shooting. The shooting this year has been a little bit inconsistent, um, but we definitely saw a lot of missed free throws, um, you know, from Teals, from uh, Wendell even made a, a missed one. But that, but Teals made two that are my pet peeves where you're missing the front ends of one-on-ones. I absolutely despise that. As a team, we're still shooting about 75% from the line. We're still shooting about 49% from the field. We are shooting about 33% from, the, from three. So if you look at it just from those numbers, you know, it doesn't look too bad but talk about our issues shooting the ball it's november and the team has played seven games so far in a very short time i think they're still trying to get their um they're still trying to get their legs under them a lot of these guys are young and aren't used to a schedule like this so i think a lot of it is guys taking shots while they're gassed and because of that they're not going to fall as consistently um i think this is an issue that will be worked out especially given that after the ohio state game there's a two-week break I think from there, they're going to be ready to go. They're going to be able to hit their shots more consistently. The free throws, again, with the exception of Wendell's, which I'm pretty sure were just the jitters from, you know, playing the number one team in the country. It's the very beginning of the game and all eyes are on you. That's the only real excuse I can think of for that. Not that it excuses missing two free throws to open the game, but 
I'm not I'm not worried at all. I think that the team's still just like I said, they're acclimating to playing a schedule like this, a lot of them because they're young guys. They're gonna make their shots once the stamina and the conditioning catches up to where it needs to be, especially come March. Like, you know, Trevor, Jeremy missing some free throws down the stretch, Paulo with the cramps, that didn't help him. It happens. Yeah, so I think there's two things here. One uh, and you see, I think maybe potentially shot selection. We saw a couple where, you know, there was a couple heat check moments from Paolo in the first half. And, and mm-hmm. look, if you're making them, I'm, I'm okay mm-hmm. with it. Uh, you know, I think Jackie brought up the the one in transition for, for Jeremy. That was a bad shot. So I think shot selection will improve. Uh, and from the line, you kind of look at, you know, Paolo's numbers. You know, he's shooting almost 85% from the line. Uh, and then you have, you know, he's he's brought up his three-point percentage to 33, and it was down on the team. So mm-hmm. he's shooting better. He's being he's, he, he's a little bit more confident. Where can we improve, though? I, I, I know you were never big on, you know, talking about free throws and, you know, the, the impacts on the game as a major thing. Have you kind of turned the corner on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've come around on that stance a little bit. This And this team has proven because of the way they play. It depends on how you play, right? If you're a team that shoots the ball more, you're not going to hit free throws as often because you're not going to get to the line as often. So it's a little bit less important than a team like this that takes 42 shots on the interior. Like that's that's the thing about this team where the shooting is not a worry for me. It's not, I don't look at it as a problem. I looked at the shooting as a problem for the Zion team because without yeah. what Zion and RJ could do, what other points are you getting? Like the JJ team in 0506, shooting was a problem with that team because nobody else could shoot other than JJ Reddick. With this team... Shooting's not a problem because we can get points everywhere on the court. We get, we're so efficient on the interior. We're, we're 16th in the nation in assists. We're getting to the free throw line at a regular basis. So even if we do show, shoot a low percentage, we're still going to make somewhere around between 10 and 15 free throws a game, even if we miss you know another eight or nine. You know what I'm saying? So we're still going to get points at the line. We're still going to get points in the interior. So that shooting isn't as much of a bugaboo to me as, as it feels like it is. And the other thing is, man, again, it's young guys shooting threes first year in college. One of the first things you see is when guys run into these strength and conditioning programs and, and add so much bulk and everything, it does mess with your shot. It truly does. It messes up the timing, the muscle memory, everything else you've developed for the last four or five years, you know, with little tiny kid muscles. And now you got these grown man muscles and now you're learning how to shoot all over again. Plus the speed of the games faster by the end of the season our overall, Three-point percentage might never climb over 35%. But I bet by the end of the season, we're in games where we're shooting 38 39%, 40% on a regular basis to, to end the year. What if you have, like, Armando Bacot photoshopped Gross. muscles? How does that, how does that affect shooting? <laughs> you can't right, shoot right, anyway. Because so... <laughs> you're a soft-ass bitch. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, so let's talk about, uh, Jack, let's talk about our rebounding. This is something that, you know, we all kind of predicted that Duke would have the best front court in the country between Theo, Paolo, and obviously Mark. The rebounding hasn't been great, uh, you know, from where we thought we would be. We got out rebounded pretty significantly in this game against Gonzaga. We got out rebounded in the game against Kentucky. Those are kind of the two marquee top 10 matchups that we want to kind of compare ourselves to. What do you see going on with the rebounding? Do you see that, do you see that improving? I do. I honestly, I think that both of the two major concerns that Duke fans have for the team so far are a little overblown with the shooting. Like I said, guys just need time to adjust when it comes to rebounding. Shibwe, that was 
one of the best rebounding performances I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So that that can kind of put that aside. He was able to box Mark out really well, and I've never I've never seen someone rebound like that. Gonzaga, a lot of the rebounds that I guess contributed to Gonzaga out rebounding Duke were long rebounds on like on long twos or on threes. If you look at the numbers, Paulo had five rebounds. Mark had nine. I can't remember exactly how many Theo had. But all that aside, yeah, our guys are still getting their rebounds. It's just the guards, really. And their guards are a little bit bigger than ours, um, I guess, specifically at point guard. But still, that was that was it more so than, I think, the interior guys, especially given defensive positioning. A defensive player is more likely to get a long rebound than an offensive player. Yeah, and so kind of on that note, AC, do you see anything schematically that we can improve on uh, to help our numbers? Well, it's two big things. Number one, we're playing we're playing that that pressure defense now that K used to love to play in the early two thousands, late nineties, where we're guarding thirty three feet away from the basket. So that's one thing. Like our guard, we have good rebounding guards. Wendell has been a really good rebounding guard his whole career. Jeremy Roach has shown the pro- the propensity to be a good rebounding guard. We have good rebounding guards. The problem is. We're, we're face guarding out at the perimeter of the three-point line, forcing teams to the interior, forcing them into our bigs down low. So, of course, we're not going to get boards. Those teams that Kay had in the, in the 2000s and late 90s when they were you know still beating teams up really well, they if you look back at those box scores consistently, we were out-rebounded with those squads. And I think that's what we're seeing now. We had a run here in the late 2010s and even the mid-2010s where we were a really, really good rebounding team because we played closer to the basket. We played more zone. We played more of like the sit-back man defense where we weren't extending so far out because we didn't have great rim protectors. So you saw our rebounding numbers were crazy for what Duke teams usually have, but now we're back to that kind of older style K team where we're going to get out-rebounded by teams because we're farther away from the basket. The other part of this is, think about this, Paulo now for two, two two big games with Kentucky and Gonzaga, essentially didn't play in the second half or was very limited in the second half due to the cramping. Yeah, he's a point, big rebounder. You know, you don't have a guy, another rebounder on the floor like that. Yeah, we're going to get we're going to get out rebounded like that. So yeah. he only had five rebounds that game. That's telling of how much he can move around that second half. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually a great point. Um, uh, so let's keep it with you, AC, because uh, this, this next one is, is an interesting one. And it is specifically uh, kind of tailored to, to the Gonzaga game that we just played. They got a boatload of breaks in transition and is that just kind of the style that they play or is it telling about Duke's transition defense? I think our transition defense has definitely has, has shown that it, it can be weak. Campbell got out on the break a few times on us. You saw it with Citadel. That's the type of team that plays so fast. They yeah. were out on the move on us. We had trouble getting back against them. And it's not like this team isn't athletic, but it's the speed of the game. It's, it's that thing where, you got to be watching down floor. You got to be communicating. And I thought we communicated well against Gonzaga, but that is just that's an elite team when it comes to getting to the the rim on cuts and and on the break like that. And they they did a great job with it. So I think the transition D against Gonzaga is a little bit of an anomaly. But if any team wants to look at how are we going to beat Duke, they're going to take this. Now they're going to take this game. They're going to take Citadel and say, okay, if we can play fast, we need to play fast against them because. It, especially because of the size that we have on the floor. We have big guys on the floor who can run, but you can you can negate what Mark does by getting up and down the floor. You can negate what Theo does by getting up and down the floor. So that's where teams are really going to show us, all right, we're here to fight you by doing this. They're going to take the fight to us that way. So it's upon our guards now to really be watching that and really be 
in position to stop these teams from making these runs because I think it's coming at some point. So we got to be able to stop that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And and Jack, I'll let you have the final word in the segment because the, the are you concerned? I guess, um, and we'll see. You know, a couple of these you know lower mid major teams coming up here in December. You know, kind of know how that schedule goes. Um, but that'll be a foreshadowing of potential first round matchups. Where is this the blueprint for? And, and to, this is how you beat Duke. If you're, you know, a Citadel who can just start raining threes, shooting 35 threes against us, and making 18 of them. We still won that game by 20, didn't we? 26. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a blueprint for beating Duke. That's a blueprint for getting beat by Duke while setting a record in Cameron <laughs> because man. Duke hey, is Jack. that good. Oh, Jack, Jack. Oh, <laughs> Come on now. Love it. Um, <laughs> so there we have it. Don't, don't test Jack. All right, I love that. <laughs> Uh, I just I just got put in a body bag, AC. <laughs> Me too. Uh, <laughs> you did. I'm not. I'm shook. I'm not trying to be any type no, disrespectful. Sir, I'm just say, saying. Say, look. Yeah, the Citadel did shoot stay the lights out. Piece. That was a historically good shooting yes, night. But they still lost by right. 26. Right. I mean, no. And so there's no reason to <laughs> no reason to think that's a blueprint for being good. Let's move on to the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes who had a rough weekend. Uh, losing in Ann Arbor. So uh, are they going to be fired up for this game, AC? It's Tuesday night, 11.30. Obviously, their star is EJ Liddell, averaging 22.5, shooting 56% from the field. Obviously, everybody's going to be talking about mm-hmm. that matchup. So kind of break down. First of all, you, you kind of brought up Ohio State a couple weeks ago and how mm-hmm. they're garbage. Are you walking that back a little bit? And there's another cliche, so I'm going to have another <laughs> question to you. There's another cliche being thrown out there that this will be a letdown, do letdown game for Duke, and you're concerned about that. All right, let's be let's be 100 real, right? A couple weeks ago, I looked at this game like, all right, if we go out and beat Gonzaga, yes, off of off a of two or three days rest, coming off the plane, going to a, a, a our first road true road game, there is a possibility that this team could have a letdown. Whatever, I have I have thoroughly walked that ideology back. Like this team is too tough for that, man. Like we don't need any more validation. I've seen this take all day long. I've seen it. I've seen the this this is this is the game right here. Like forget Gonzaga. The Ohio State game is the game that's really going to tell us about what this dude. Like shut up, stop, stop. <laughs> we don't need any more validation for what this team is. And when we go to Ohio State and beat them by twenty five, then, then come back, come back to me. That's bold. It's, it's, look, sneak sneak preview of where the prediction's going here. Wow. <laughs> look, Oh, is, is, does is Ohio State is they're a little they are a little better than I was giving them credit for earlier on when I said they're garbage. They're still not good, but they do have they have some size on the perimeter. Most of their guards are in the the six five to six eight range. They shoot the three well, but if you watch how they do it, like their threes come at the end of shot clocks after their play has been busted up two or three times. Like they don't run a good offense. Chris Holtman, he's a decent coach. People keep wanting to call him like one of the next up and coming coaches. The dude is like. He, he's a little better than Chris Mack. Like, he, he's like, you got EJ Liddell holding this team together like glue. Like, he's going to get his 23 points. Like, don't get me wrong. He's going to get his 23 points against Duke. But is it going to be on 18, 19 shots or is it going to be on 30 shots? Because that's where I'm thinking he's going to be. I'm thinking it's going to be somewhere around that 30 shot range. So, because our defense is too good. Like, they don't even know who their second scorer is. Like, I, I have fans who are Ohio State fans, and all season so far, all I've heard them say is, we don't even know who our second scorer is. We don't have a second score. Like, okay, good luck against Duke's defense if you don't have a second score. 
And then good luck to you inside with Mark Williams if he's going to play like he did against Gonzaga because there's nothing you can do on the interior now. Like, I don't want to hear anymore. No, no more. We know who this team is. Duke has been validated. We are the best team in the nation. This is not a trap game. Believe me, it's not a trap game. All right, so I just got eviscerated by Jack, and I'm going to have to go back to him. Um, but, you know, Colin <laughs> kicked him off after, uh, after AC. You know, obviously we average 10 more points a game than they do. We let up five less points a game. We shoot better from the field. Uh, we out-rebound them, and just statistically speaking. We dish out three more assists. So, kind of to AC's point there, Jack, I'm not saying make a prediction here, but how do you see this game going? I see it going very poorly for Ohio State. <laughs> <laughs> like AC said, they do not have a second score. In fact, EJ Liddell is the only guy on the team that's averaging double-digit scoring. So, that's definitely something to keep an eye on. It's going to be interesting to see if Duke tries to just deny Liddell and make the rest of the team do something, or if they try to make Liddell create and score every time down the floor. Because realistically, that could either option could work. That being said, Liddell's a very efficient scorer, 56% in the field, 41% from three, not to mention a little bit less than four blocks a game on the defensive end. I'm not worried because the team averages 75, and Liddell averages just a little bit less than a third of that himself. So it's going to be very interesting, especially with Suing out, who I believe is their second best player, even if he's not their second leading scorer as of right now. It's going to be just very interesting to see mm-hmm. how the team goes at Liddell defensively. But again, I'm not worried. <laughs> I mean, I tell you, he's going to get a he's going to get a heavy dose of Wendell Moore. He's going to get a heavy dose of Trevor Keels, and he's not going to put one either one of those guys in foul trouble. Like that's that's the thing. Like EJ Liddell gets his points very opportunistically. He's very a veteran scorer. He knows how to play the game or whatever. But look, when like our defense is the best in the nation. Like, and then you're gonna come to us with a team that doesn't have any more scores other than this one dude, and then say that this is a trap game? No, sir. Mm -mm, I'm not playing that game anymore. I'm afraid to even ask the follow up question. But if you had to, if you had to give a blueprint for Ohio State to to remain competitive in this game, keep the crowd involved. What would it be? It's going to have to be them shooting threes. They're a good three-point shooting team with size. Six, eight shooters all over the floor. So they're going to have to shoot their threes and shoot them efficiently. And this Duke team defensively is geared to taking away your three-point shots. So, and you turn the ball over 12 times a game, Ohio State. Hmm. Like, we're not Florida, and they beat you. You know what I mean? We're not Xavier, and they beat you. Like, come on, man. Mm-mm. Unless Seton Hall puts on some Duke jerseys and comes out, like, nah, this is not a problem for me. Uh, and other than uh, that, Jack, I see that ESPN Gamecast has Ohio State winning this game with a 50%, 56% certainty rate. Jack, it's the Jack, same algorithm that had Gonzaga with a 71.5% chance to win on Friday. It takes... Now, this algorithm takes a lot of things into consideration, but the thing that has the biggest factor is home court advantage. If you look at the Duke-Carolina games, the one at Duke and the one at UNC have incredibly different odds just because of home court advantage. That's that's what that is. Just because this is a road game means nothing. Remember when Duke beat the crap out of Michigan State a couple years ago in the ACC Big Ten Challenge in East Lansing? Mm-hmm. This I'm not worried about Ohio State. Yeah, I like was never worried about Ohio State. I kind of wish we got Purdue. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I like it. And I'm not going to ask. Any, I'm not going to ask any further questions. I'm going to get right to the predictions Give here. It to him. AC, 
you have already kind of laid out what your prediction is going to be. You said, go ahead, give it to us. Put your, put your money where your mouth is. So right now, right now they have us as a three-point favorite. That's too low. That's way too low. <laughs> take, take the over. Yo, if y'all want to make some money, go ahead and take those Duke points, baby. If you really want to make some money, go in, go on and, and FanDuel. FanDuel, let's give us a sponsorship. Go on FanDuel, do the drop down, go find the enhanced point score, uh, point spread, and go ahead and do Duke plus 10 plus because you're going to make a lot of money off of that. Duke by 25, 85, 60. Wow. Give it to him. I have a 60 jet. Give it to him. Take wow. a century. And, 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 my and, and, God. And, and give it to him. You're talking of how much would you like, like the mortgage, your mortgage, like. Your 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 king's tuition, like what are you what are you putting on this? Yo, I'm I'm already I'm I'm laying some I'm laying some Bitcoin dollars okay, down okay, on this. Okay, that's what's up. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right, Jack, what do you got? I don't think it's gonna be that much of a blowout. However, Duke does win by double digits. My guess is eighty-seven to seventy-four. Uh, Paulo goes off. Liddell does not go off, and Ohio State understands why they're unranked now. Yeah, I, I find the, the this game to be interesting because. I think that Jeremy, I think that Trevor, you know, they didn't shoot well against Gonzaga. They, you know, Mark, Wendell, Colin getting all the credit. I feel like they're, they're going to come out here. They're going to shoot well. I think we're going to put up a lot of points. I think we're going to take the crowd out of it early. They're still really hungover after losing against Michigan on Saturday. So I'm going to say that Duke has a pretty nice offensive performance here. 92-78 is my pick. Going to Columbus, the number one team in the nation. Let's go, Duke. Let's go, Duke. Let's go, Duke. Thank you for tuning in to the Five Point Play Podcast, the number one Duke fans podcast. Check us out at Instagram at Five Point Play Podcast. That's the number Five Point Play Podcast, and on Twitter, Five Point Play Podcast. Go, Duke.